This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and a very warm welcome to Total Saints Podcast. We are the dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC. As ever, I'm joined by Adam Leach, Southampton Daily Echo's chief sports writer, and Steve Grant, Saints season ticket holder, owner of Saints Web and Pop World regular. Evening, chaps. Evening. Evening. What a title, Pop World Pop regular. Pop regular, yeah, exactly. Mm, but I've been called worse. The end is in sight, Adam. One more week of Premier League action to go. Sad, happy, bit of both. Yippee! <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait for it all to be over. Yeah, yeah, it's that time of the year, definitely. Well, I've been counting down the last few weeks, to be honest. And I think all of us, all the regulars at West Ham before the game, were just like, can we just get this out of the way and go mm. home? And, well, I think the team thought that as well, actually. I was just going to say. I was <laughs> just going to say. So, and, I, and I have to be honest, Steve, I think, you know, podcasting's obviously taken out all three of us, but I think it does feel a long, long time ago since that drab nil-nil draw against Burnley. So I think I'm ready for a bit of a rest over the summer. What about you? Yeah, although I'd probably say we've had plenty of games that have perhaps been even worse than that Burnley game. So it, we've never really been able to get away from sort of one shocker being just around the corner. And uh, I think yesterday was the, the latest of those. But I mean, at the end of the day, if, if we finish on a high and, and beat Huddersfield next week, then I think everybody will kind of go into the summer with that sort of slight edge of positivity in that, yes, thank God it's all over and we can kind of forget about everything that's gone on in the previous 10 months. But also, OK, we've maybe turned a bit of a corner. Mm. We think we've got a vague sense of a plan and a bit of a direction has been recovered to an extent so yeah we'll wait and see what pre-season brings 
Exactly. Well, um, this week's episode, we'll see us look back at uh, Saints' last away game of 2019-20. As Steve said, not exactly a classic, but uh, up at West Ham in a game that finished rather disappointingly 3-0 to the Hammers. We'll also look ahead to next week's season finale versus Huddersfield at St Mary's and also briefly touch on Saints' pre-season plans, which were announced on Friday of last week. Sandwiched in the middle of that is our latest Total Recall, where alongside Will and Leon from the SaintsArchive.com, we catch up with the ever-humble and ever-friendly Dave Puckett, who played for Saints in the early 80s. Now, I'm delighted to say that we've also got a couple of new TSP patrons who signed up to support the podcast this week. Firstly, Mark Fletcher. So Mark sent us an email. He said, Hi guys, big thanks for your excellent work this season. I'm an exile living in Yorkshire these last 25 years, but I get to lots of northern away games, often with my Saints fans' sons, Harry and George, and a couple of SMS every season, including Huddersfield on the 12th of May. Thanks again for all your hard work, and let's hope for a great season under Ralph in 2019-20. So thanks very much for signing up, Mark. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, keep flying the Saints flag in Yorkshire. Secondly, we've got uh, Jean-Pierre Hammond-Cole. Again, thanks so much for signing up, Jean-Pierre, and also for the suggestion around YouTube which my technical support team which is basically Adam Leach is going to look into ahead of next season don't forget if you'd like to sign up to support the pod it's never too late you can go to patreon.com which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com and look up Total Saints Podcast right in partnership with saintsarchive.com and saintsworld.co.uk and sponsored by the South Coast Best Hot Tub Company Happy Hot Tubs this is TSP 74 I'd really love a hot tub, but I don't know where to start. How easy is the process? It's as easy as one, two, three. Who are you? I'm the man who puts happy people in hot tubs. One, choose your hot tub at Happy Hot Tubs. Two, choose your accessories. And three, choose how you want to pay. With 0% finance available on selected tubs, we even accept American Express. You deserve happy. And at Happy Hot Tubs, it's as easy as one, two, three. Happyhottubs.co.uk Saints ended their away campaign with a 3-0 thumping at the London Stadium where, a bit like Romelu Lukaku, Marco Anatovic bagged another couple of goals against Saints. The side he scored the most Premier League goals against ever. At least one Austrian was happy. Adam, it may not be pretty. I know it's been a long season. I know we've had a few positive results over the last few weeks, but give us an honest assessment of this one. Yeah, I mean, it was dreadful. <laughs> it was absolutely dreadful. They were awful. Um, there's no real way of sugarcoating it. Obviously, Ralph made some changes. He wanted to look at a couple of players, um, brought in Fraser Forster, yep. the uh, lesser spotted Forster, <laughs> and Morielli Anusi came in. Those were really, I guess, the only particularly significant people who really hadn't played much at all. And then you had sort of people who'd been more fringy, Lamina, due injury, obviously, um, Stu Armstrong, who just hasn't sort of been in favour, I guess to an extent Ings, even though he's sort of a, a mainstay in one respect. Obviously, again, injury has robbed him of as many appearances as he would have liked. So kind of a reshuffled team in some ways um, mm. to try and learn some lessons. And I, I guess there were kind of two things that, that came out of it. Um, and number one was, did Ralph actually learn anything from this experience? And... My assessment is I don't think he learned much at all, to be completely honest, because what you would have wanted in that situation is for these guys who haven't played much. It's going to be very hard for people like that to come into a team, mm. um, you know, having not played for a significant period of time anyway. And then when you come into the team and the rest of your teammates basically look like they flicked on holiday mode, mm. you've kind of got no chance. So <laughs> I don't care who you are. You've got yeah. virtually no chance of shining, I don't think, in that circumstance. And they didn't. 
a few of the others that maybe you would say who have been playing a bit more regularly, but maybe are not guaranteed to be uh, here next season, or if they are not guaranteed to be regulars, did themselves a few favours. And you kind of came away with that question of a lot of people were asking me afterwards who, who went to the game, who paid their money for a ticket, who paid their money for the train travel and all that kind of stuff, were saying to me, basically, we deserve better than that. Well, why are you experimenting? I think there was a bit of discontent with Ralph, which is very unusual. Mm. Um, and there's that debate of should you experiment or not? Now, let's be completely honest about this. They aren't going to experiment against Huddersfield. This yeah. won't be. This was not going to be repeated. They only got safe last week. They only gave him two games to look at them. And so, yeah, the West Ham game, unfortunately for those that did buy tickets, was the experimental game in that if it went wrong and everything went belly up, which it did, then damage limitation to a certain extent because there aren't that many people there to get upset with them as whereas if they did that against Huddersfield there's a lot of people there to get upset with them so that's basically why they did it and like I said if I'm just completely honest the whole thing was disappointing in that they didn't get performance for the fans or a result for the fans and or to get a bit higher up the table which would have meant some more money Mm -hmm. now they can only move up one place at best in the table um, so that's some some more money that they could have got that's disappeared. There was a disappointing result, disappointing day out for a lot of fans, and I really don't think we learned much. And so, bit of a write-off in all regards, really, I think. The only saving grace was we did say yesterday, West Ham last year, if you remember, Mark Hughes' first mm. uh, match in charge was an absolute... Uh, nightmare as well but at least this time there was nothing riding on it so that made it ever so slightly more palatable than last time we managed a shot before the 83rd minute well there you go you see that's good so yeah I mean I think that's the thing Steve as Adam says London Stadium the last couple of seasons hasn't been a great venue for us all three of us predicted uh, that West Ham will win I think for the fact that we've probably known Saints long enough that we kind of thought that performance i.e. switching off would probably happen but you know, Adams mentioned Al Yunisi, Adams mentioned Fraser Forster. Obviously, there was a few other fringe players involved as, as well. I mean, out of the 14 that did play, did anyone come out of it with credit, or was it just a collective, as you would say, pile of whatever? Yeah, it's difficult to apportion any real credit uh, from that performance. I mean, I don't think there was anybody who was particularly bad. There was nobody who sort of stood out for their uselessness. Mm. Um, even though you knew see, I mean, he, he wasn't involved a lot, but when he was, you could you could see what he was trying to do yep. because he's not played very much in the side for the last what four or five months. There was just no cohesion between him and any of the other players around him. Mm. So he was playing. He was playing all these little flicks around the corner in the centre of midfield that looked neat and tidy, but they went straight to a West Ham player. Mm. And as you said just now, you kind of felt a bit sorry for them. The players that kind of came in with a point to prove because like, well, you've got no chance hmm. because the rest of this lot have, have clocked off for the summer. It's yeah. inevitable, really. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I think I've seen, seen a lot of people on Twitter having a pop at Forster for the second goal. But it's like the way he's Masuaku's fizzed that ball across goal. I don't think any keeper is going to be able to hold that. No. And it's just unlucky that it's hit on out of it. I mean, presumably on the shoulder. I'm not, not quite sure where. And I mean, if, if Forster's luck's in, then it hits his shoulder and goes over the bar. Mm. But it's just lobbed up nicely for him to head into a, um, to an empty net. And at that point, the game's done. Yeah, that was frustrating. Yeah, and, and look, Steve, I mean, it has been a long season. We know we've had a really good four, five, six months, and we know most of those players that, well, you know, most of the starting eleven are putting a lot of effort. Um, obviously, he did make changes. Redmond, Ward, Prowse, players like that weren't involved until uh, sort of coming on as subs. But 
as fans, you know, do you think we should expect players to sort of give 100% until the end of the season, or do you think professional football has changed? And as Adam said, they only sort of saved themselves last week, so you kind of can maybe understand. I know Ralph spoke about it afterwards, that sort of intensity has maybe gone, but is that an easy excuse, or do you think that's fair? I think it's both an easy excuse and fair, <laughs> because I think, realistically, I mean, for all that you would like footballers to be kind of robots and to be able to maintain the intensity regardless of the circumstances... That's not what it is. They are human beings. I mean, they've been in a high stress situation for months. And now that that stress has been relieved, it's only natural for that intensity to to drop off, I think. Mm. And they are kind of coasting through for the next uh, week or two of the season. I mean, it's it's frustrating for those of us who have obviously paid to go to the game. But I'd be slightly concerned if there was anybody who was particularly surprised by what they saw at the London Stadium yesterday. Yeah. And on uh, Fraser Forster then, Adam, you'd indicated Friday that he had a chance of playing. Play he did, 494 days, as tweeted by Peachy, and then uh, I saw you'd uh, pop that in your report as well since his uh, last first 11 appearance. Um, but as uh, you know, sort of Steve alluded to there with the second goal, I don't necessarily think there was much blame to a portion, but in general, quite a tough day for him. I felt for him, to be honest with you. It was one of those sort of forced performances that we kind of became a bit used to in mm. that when you were thinking about it, you, you looked at the, the goals in isolation and you, and you looked at the general performance and you thought, you know, there's not masses to blame him for. And yet he's not quite either done anything exceptional either. Mm. Um, you know, he's sort of become dogged by performances like that before he came out of the team where yeah okay perhaps he did make a few more errors as his confidence really dipped but just those sort of moments when you just feel like like Steve said with the second goal you just need a little tiny bit of luck to be on your side there Mm. and it just seems the way of Forster's lot that inevitably he will be beset by whatever the worst thing that could probably happen in that moment is will happen and of course sure enough it hits Arnautovic and it could go anywhere. It just spins straight up to Arnautovic. You can head it into an open goal from a yard out. Mm. And that just seems to to be the way. I mean, and it was so hard for him as well. I mean, he must have been so nervous before that game. I mean, you can imagine because he must have felt like if I balls this up, then that could be career over, basically. Mm. Where do I go from there? But Ralph liked him. I consistently hear reports in and around Saints that he is superb in training indeed many people who watch him train a lot tell me he's by far and away the best goalkeeper they've got in training by a long way Mm. not even close but the problem he's got is you know obviously he's had a long time out now um he was taken out because his confidence had been shot basically his head was gone in a a goalkeeping sense and then to come back and get that back after such a long period of time now on the sidelines Mm. it's very very difficult and let's be completely honest Angus Gunn is the future now at Saints in goal we all know that Mm. and I'm sure Fraser knows that deep down as well he's probably the truth is playing to be the backup to Gunn him and McCarthy are battling out to be number two and probably the one that doesn't win that is the one that they will try and get rid of in an ideal world so I mean you could argue the tosses to whether Ralph was playing him to put him in the shop window or whether Ralph was playing him because he realistically wants to keep him for the longer term. But either way, yeah, you just felt for him. You know, he probably knew he's got one chance and then he turns up, he gets some terrible moments of bad luck and the team in front of him defend shambolically. I mean, 
I know that, that Jack Stevens gets blamed for pretty much anything that goes wrong in any position at Saints these days. He is like scapegoat number one for anything. You know, Nathan Redmond misses an open goal. Shane Long with that one where he hit the post. That was probably Jack Stevens' fault as well. Um, <laughs> ticket prices. I bet that's Jack <laughs> Stevens. So don't like, don't like these ticket prices. So yeah. The, the, my tea was cold at half time. I bet Jack Stevens has something to do with that. But yeah, okay. Yeah. He, he is having a bit of a rough trot and they haven't got any other options at the back, but him and Bednarek, I mean, Bednarek as well. I mean, you know, he seems to have sort of been very, very up and down having mm. had a really good period for a while. He seems to have had a real bit of a slump in recent weeks and, and on out of it, which just was one moment in the first half, one punt from the edge of their area and Altovich was running straight between them. And you think, <laughs> well, what is going on here? But that just, that was what Forster had to contend with that sort of stuff going on in front of him. And you just think this guy has got no luck. Mm. Just on um Ralph and Steve, Adam obviously mentioned that he doesn't think he will have learned a lot from that. I mean, again, you, you know, there's another week to build them up and finish on a bit of a high, as you mentioned. But do you think he will have been any clearer now and sort of thinking, right, some of these players, four, five, six of them maybe aren't what we need going forward? Or do you think he would have known that already? And it was almost, I mean, lots of people have said, oh, he was just making a point. It gave, you know, gave him a chance to throw these players out in front of the board and say, well, it's evident these players aren't good enough. But do you, do you really think he was doing that? Um, I'm sure part of it is is that, but it's I think the board realistically are going to basically do what he wants mm. within the financial constraints that we've got. I'm sure he'll he'll have a list of sort of priority order of, of which ones to bin off and which ones he could possibly work with if he absolutely had to. Mm. Um, and it'll be down to whoever's in charge of that to facilitate getting rid of those players and finding new clubs for them. And we haven't, we haven't actually got that many who are out of contract because of our sort of recent desire to tie everybody down to long deals. We've kind of tied all the crap players down to long deals as well. So we're kind of in a, in a bit of a situation where we're probably going to have to take a financial hit on getting rid of players as well as the obvious cost of bringing people in. That's going to be a long process. That's not going to be solved just in just in one transfer window. That's probably two or three years to undo the shoddy work of the last year and a half or so. Mm. But I'm not sure I necessarily agree that Ralph won't have learned anything. I think mm. he will he will have learned that okay, while certain players may look half decent in training, maybe they don't have the mental capacity perhaps yeah. to play at the highest level, or at least the highest level that we need them to be playing at, and that includes. I would assume the likes of El Yanusi. Lamine is an interesting one because mm. he, I think I've said before that I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a player for Saints who's the contrast between his best and his worst performances are just so vast. And if you could kind of coax a few more six and seven out of tens out of him, rather than the occasional nine and ten, yep. and then the occasional two and three, <laughs> we'd be in such a better position in, in the centre midfield, I think. He'll be an interesting one, mainly because I think he's one of the players that I think we could get quite good money for. Yeah, he's not he's not a natural in as we saw uh, West Ham in that Romeo position. They've they've right. only got Romeo for that position, frankly. Yeah. That kind of I think real sitting defensive midfielder because he's the only one with the destructive capabilities and the discipline. Mm. And Lamina just doesn't have the same qualities as uh, Romeo does. Now Lamina's a lot better on the ball um, and can offer an awful lot going forward. And I understand why. You know, Ralph likes him, and we've talked about that in the past. But that's not the position for him, definitely. If he mm. if he's going to play there, then he's got no future, really, because he's just it's just not his position. He needs to be utilised further forward. And if there are 
in Ralph's eyes, other players that are better than him further forward, then, as Steve said, sell him. Because he's actually one player who's got a market, actually a decent market value. You're not, you know, when you look at the players that they're going to attempt to sell, he's one you could sell and get some money for. And it was interesting in the build-up to the game as well. I mean, last week, we obviously talked about uh, this sort of, you know, fantasy list of players that, that potentially could be sold and how many there were. And I actually asked Ralph directly about how many to be sold and things. And then he, I said to him, I actually, in the end, he didn't give a great answer. So I said, well, you know, do you think more than 10? And he was like shocked and was like, no, no, not that many. Mm. And then I, I then did the figures. <laughs> and then I thought, well, they're going to have probably one of the biggest squads in the Premier League if they're not going to try and sell that many players because... Well, how, um, how many... Didn't you say it was 39, Adam? Didn't you say it was 39 by the time everyone would sort be, of come back and... Basically, well, if everybody comes back... And I was working on the assumption they would sign three players this summer. Mm-hmm. Then that would take them to 39. Mm. Now, Ralph wants 18 to 20, uh, ideally, but then with youngsters on top. And I think Ralph would class even like a Jan Valerie, who's technically a senior player because he plays every week, but probably is a youngster. So even if you generously knocked off, I don't know, seven or eight off of that number, you're still a squad that's sort of at least probably 12, 13 players bigger than he says he wants. So how you get anywhere near the number he wants without having to sell or get rid of in the region of 10 players, I don't know. So um, it's going to be a fascinating summer, I think. Before we move on to Total Recall then, Saints announced on Friday some of their initial pre-season plans with trips to Austria and good old China for two fixtures and a training camp in Dublin at the end of July as well. Early days still in understanding it all, Adam, but initial reactions as pre-season fixtures and plans always cause uh, some interest with fans. What can you generously say about their pre-season schedule this year? Weird. Carnage. <clears throat> Absolute yeah. carnage, isn't it? it Obviously it does. there's going to be, game, I imagine, at least one game at home, but again, it doesn't look to be much in there at the moment. No, I mean, there's going to be some more games to come in. There'll be a game at home. Um, I hear there's potential of a game uh, in Dublin. It's just going to be a pure training camp. But mm-hmm. when they come back from Dublin, they might play a game away from home somewhere. They'll probably have one or two behind closed doors games as well. And one more at St Mary's. But I mean, the logistics of uh, what they're doing are absolutely bizarre, really. They're at Staplewood, then they're in Austria. Yep. They come back from Austria. They go to Dublin, and whilst they're in Dublin, they basically get to Dublin, do like a day or two of training. Ralph, you know, and probably Danny, and a um, handful of senior players, not all of them, mm-hmm. but a handful of senior players, and then a bunch of youngsters will fly from Dublin to China. Mm-hmm. They'll land do an open training session, play a game the next day, and then get a flight immediately back to Dublin, where the senior players and Ralph will will land and return to the training camp for the last day or two, whilst the youngsters sort of filter back back a day or two later, basically. Mm. Um, I mean, and then they come, they just go back to Staplewood the next, like two days later. It almost almost sounds like, well, it almost sounds like if Les Reed did a really annoying thing before he left, like in, haha, I'm going to set this all up and then I'm just going to leave. It's almost like someone would have done it to almost, you know, make it more annoying than actually productive. I think a lot of this, you know, what I hear is, well, kind of, this isn't probably what Ralph wants. (laughs) I think that's fairly safe to assume. 
but a lot of this is arranged already a long way in advance and there's kind of maybe this is sort of a little bit of damage limitation in terms of if you've got to go to china we saw the effects last year of a two-week trip to china well as i've said before in my opinion it it ruined the start of the season for saints Mm. them going to china it was absolutely ludicrous what happened at least there's only going to be a handful of people affected by going to china this year um and it will be very brief trip so i guess they are mitigating the problems with that though you could just say well you know wouldn't it be better if they just didn't go to china i think the answer is blatantly yes for their preparations Mm. it would be much better if they don't go to china but a reminder uh here little asterisk southampton football club is a business first and a football club second and so the most important thing is the owner gets what the owner wants and the owner wants his team over there. And if that means it dents pre-season, it dents the start of their season, so be it. Why don't they do a post-season tour? Oh, I don't know. I don't Cause know that, Because that, that. That, that would be kind of better for everybody. That would kind of tick all boxes. You would have the owner gets to see his team over there. The, he gets to parade in front of them and say um, how great this all is. Have his um, little moment in moment in the limelight with all the propaganda and all that all that nonsense and everyone gets to see the team they get the friendly against some local side and nobody gives nobody gives a toss about the game it's done and everybody gets on plane and goes on holiday <laughs> job done Sound, sounds much better idea hmm. they are steve there's probably a job for you at the club in terms of pre-season scheduling next season then yeah, i'm not sure they could afford me <laughs> <laughs> big talk bobby stokes Welcome to another special ex-Saint edition of Total Recall, our final one for this season. But don't you go worrying yourselves, we'll be back for next season with more Total Recall. Joining myself, Leon and Ben tonight, is David Puckett. Dave was born in October 29th, 1960 in the greatest city on earth, Southampton. David's full debut with the Saints was against Arsenal, January 1982. Myself and Ben were a little too young to remember that game, so we might need to rely on Leon for the rest of this. He went on to play for the Saints between 1980 and 1986, playing 59 times and scoring 16 goals. So, greetings, David. Welcome to the uh, podcast tonight. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Okay, so first up, we've got Leon with a question. Even Dave. First question up tonight. Tell us about your full debut in 1982 against Arsenal. Tell us about the week leading up to it, Dave. And on the day, a certain player gave you a couple of words just before you kicked off. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, it was my home debut against Arsenal. It was in January 82. I didn't know that I was going to be playing on that particular day, but I'd been in the squad for quite a few games before. Um, but Steve Moran on this particular game and leading up to the game, we were aware was injured and going to be unavailable. So I know myself and a few others were wondering what the lineup was going to be. And about an hour before the kickoff, um, the manager told me, put the number nine on, you're playing. So that was fantastic. I had a chance to let my family, my mum and dad and my two brothers know, my wife-to-be know. So that was great to get a call in. They were all going to the game anyway. 
So, yeah, only had about an hour at the Dell to get a little bit nervous, but also keyed. I've been sub a few times and got on, but this was going to be my first start at home. And um, it was going to be playing alongside Kevin Keegan and Mick Shannon with Alan Ball just behind. So for a young local lad to be in that company um, was just a tremendous experience. And being a front player and playing up front with, with Kevin, we had kickoff. And uh, so I was just standing at the kickoff with Kevin with the ball at our feet. And just as we were about to kick off, he just said to me, the manager came to me an hour before kickoff and said, who do you want to play up front with you today, George Lawrence or Dave Puckett? He said, I chose you today. Don't let me down. And the referee blew the whistle and we kicked off. It was a it was a nice little. Uh, we were actually playing as I was sort of digesting that little bit of information. So that was uh, that was wonderful. Obviously, playing with the likes of Keegan, Shannon, and Alan Ball. I mean, I know from myself, if I dream of playing professional football, but you were actually getting the opportunity to do this in a debut with three already respected uh, professional players. But did you have any particular nerves that were jangling you, or did you just go right, got a game on there? Um, I've got to be honest. It, the nerves are always sort of, for me, sort of in the dressing room behind it. And it's, it's more a case of being keyed up, wanting to get on with it. And the moment you, for me, I put the shirt on and you, you sort of run out, that's it. The, the nerves go. You've had a few touches on the pitch in the warm-up. You've done it before as a sub. You've trained with these players every day. This is your career. This is what you want to do. And I can honestly say it wasn't nerves that get to you. It's, it's an excitement. You want it. You want to play. You want to get on and do it, you know, and that was the feeling luckily I had. I imagine there are players in their career that they might freeze a bit and they never really get the opportunity again, you know, but it, it wasn't at all like that for me. I was just going to grab that moment and he said, don't let me down. I actually scored two in that game. We won 3-1 and made one and scored two. So on that particular day, I didn't let him down. So that was good. <laughs> and off the pitch then, Dave, Laurie McMenemy was obviously the Saints manager at that period. Of course, a legend with all of us for what he did in 1976 with the FA Cup final. So for a young player like you, what sort of advice did he give you ahead of that debut? You're wearing number nine. That was it. Playing. <laughs> Seriously, it was um, very much a manager that picked the team and gave you total belief that I'm picking you because I believe you're good enough. Mm. And the superstars that he had signed, the, the three we'd mentioned, plus a few before and quite a few after as well, you know, around the time that I was playing, the likes of Joe Jordan and Frank Worthington and Mick Mills and Peter Shilton and Dave Watson and Chris Nickel, you know, all of those players. He signed all of those that had had an amazing career that continued to have an amazing career with us and some beyond uh, having left us went on to continue that so that he had total confidence in them as his experienced players mm. to bring through the likes of myself and others that played more games than myself and and other players that were probably lesser known so that there wasn't the the real instruction it was just go out you're, you're in this squad because you're good enough because you train with these boys every day that was the feeling yeah Dave, this is a real light-hearted one, so don't worry. Um, okay. Dave, the fashion for men today is a full-grown beard. You actually grew one in 1984, didn't you? A true trendsetter. Even <laughs> though Josh Sims has just shaved his off, have you got any comments <laughs> on your beard? I'm so pleased that you mentioned it and don't mind at all. Yeah, I think I was 35 years ahead of my time, wouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> um, the thing was, is that it was the end of the season, and um, I was one of these that just thought, right, I'm not going to shave now for the whole time that we're on our break from the club. And it's not like today where they have 
maybe just a few weeks off and the season seems to go on longer and start earlier and they're back in pre-season training and they do all the warm weather training, everything like that. It was like these school holidays. You finish it for the summer and you, you're not back until, you know, for school, you're not back until September. Well, for us, we had six or seven weeks off. And for that six or seven weeks, you, you just trusted to look after yourself physically, <laughs> which, I did, which I did. But in terms of appearance, I thought, I'm not having a shave. And um, I didn't have a shave for the six or seven weeks. And it was a, it was a monster of a beard. And, uh, <laughs> and also, also, I've got um, quite a lot of red colouring in me. So it was, it was not only big, but it was red. And, uh, and it was a nice big shape. And um, a couple of things that I do remember about that was our first day back, we had new sponsors, which were Draper Tools for that year. And we were asked to meet in the Hersey Road in Chalmers Ford, where the Draper Tools um, premises are, to meet your new sponsor. So we all met up there. And, of course, I'm thinking, do I shave this off or do I t- – what am I – am I going to get stick from – no. <laughs> so I turned up with this beard and, you know, you get the mix of major ribbon, major comments. Some, well, some, some really impressed. Some didn't say a thing. And um, we also had a new signing, I believe, which was Joe Jordan, who, you know, just thought that was normal for me. And, yeah, this is Dave. Yeah, fine. And, and I carried on. I thought, hey, I'm keeping this. So I, I, I kept the beard the first few games of the season. And I, I thought, yeah, this is OK. I'm going to You know, I think we were getting into about September. And um, I hadn't been picked in the team. I'd been in and out of the side for a while. And I thought, I'm not... Not sure. I've, I've got to do something. I've got to change. And I thought, I'm going to shave this today. But we had a game against Norwich and I was picked as sub. And it was on match of the day. And it was at the days when you only had about two or three games on match of the day. You might be on, you might not. Well, we were. I think we were third game on and I was sub. So for about two minutes on match of the day, you just see me come on with this nice beard, which again got a lot of comments. But by the time it was on match of the day, I shaved it off. The next morning, just to finish it, the next morning is when I went into training. I thought, I'm not only my shave this off, I'm going to have a real sharp haircut. So my appearance was drastically different <laughs> to how I used to be. And Joe Jordan just walked straight past me. He'd never seen me before without a beard, so I didn't know who I was. But I loved the beard, as you can imagine, for the way I was talking about it. Then, yeah. <laughs> I guess for some of us, as, as Will mentioned, some of us are a bit younger than others, but still remember the Dow and things like that. So I was just going to ask for a, an ex-Saints player, you know, what your memories are of playing at the Dow and obviously the sort of pram conditions and that tight atmosphere and all that sort of thing. Oh, for me, it's the Dow is the place way more than St. Mary's. Yeah, I've got to be totally honest. Just as a as a fan first, I mean, I'm nine years old. I was going along there asking for autographs and uh going to watch games when I could, you know, in between playing myself. Obviously, I was a very active player, you know, in a young age. But to get the opportunity to go along and um, eventually be on the playing staff as an apprentice, youth team player, reserves, and then first team player and play at the Dell was really so, so thrilling and and a fantastic stadium for me, you know, and for Mm. for many, many others. It was just totally different from any other ground that you, you played on because of the the closeness of the crowd, you know, that sort of one yard sort of red shell running track around it and, you know, the tight goals against, you know, either end. And, yeah, it was just, must have been quite intimidating for other teams. But um, I just felt it fantastic for you as a, as a home ground, you know. And I totally understand why clubs have to get a bigger ground. And, you know, it's just another very impressive stadium, St Mary's. Mm. But for me, it will never, ever be like the Dell. No. I think I have to back you up on that one, Ben. I think the, the guys will agree with, with you as well. Having 
some memories of Vidal, obviously, as a supporter. It had character in it, and it had something that no other football team had. Uh, with St Mary, it's a good stadium, but it's a bit one-box fits all. Yeah. Anyways, leading on, uh, David, I've got a good one for you. What do you think of Saints this season? Ah, well, I've gone along first, because I want to be as diplomatic as I can and be as um, honest as I can. I'm not just be stating what the fans will be seeing week in, week out, is to have not managed games well enough to have got into decent positions and thrown away winning positions to draws and drawing positions to defeats is disappointing, poor, and has to be addressed and has to be managed better to just elevate the position in the league. Um, definitely the intensity as the season progressed was better. The Premier League for me is all about speed, which is speed, not just running, but speed of thought in the mind. So you know what you're going to do with the ball before you get it. And when you do get it, you're moving it so quickly that the opposition can't have a chance to close you or press you because many teams play that way. And I think once we increase the tempo of our play and not playing it slowly across the back, we were a totally different team. Mm. And you must have fast players with the ball in the team. You must have speed of thought players in their minds in the team. Otherwise, you won't survive in the Premier League. We know you still get out and play quite a lot. And uh, I think Will's made it quite clear that there's still that love for the game. And we were talking before, yeah. I remember you used to coach me as a 10-year-old down at Hamble many, many years ago and all those sort of things. So we know you love your football. So I guess the question was, Fantastic. are you sort of secretly wishing that if Ralph picks up the phone and say, can you play this weekend, that you'd be straight down to St Mary's? <laughs> boots are polished and in the car always. I've, I've got two boys and I've always said to them, your boots must always be available in the car. Whoever asks you to play, wherever it is, be available and don't turn the game down. You know, that's uh, that's what I've always been. I do, I still play. I'm 58 and um, I've played 33 matches this season for my veterans team. And um, I'll be there on Sunday. We've still got two more games to go. And I'll have had a 35 game season again. That's 35 out of 35. I haven't missed any games, by the way. So, um, yeah, absolutely love playing. And, uh, yeah, if you arrange a game, call me. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think my knees are up to it, but you can ask the other two. I'm sure they'll be up for a game. <laughs> Great. <laughs> One question in then, uh, Dave, from one of our listeners, Stephen Simonson. He asked, out of all your goals for Saints, which was your best and or most memorable? Oh, thanks for the question. What was the, what was the present uh, name? Stephen Simonson. Thank you, Stephen, for uh, asking the question. I think for the, the fact that it was the first goal, which makes it you know so memorable for me, was in the Arsenal game. I scored the two goals, but the first one won the ball back and it went to Kevin Keegan. And then I went for the return and he got into a better position, slipped me inside. And now I've just got the keeper to beat, which was George Wood, who was the Scottish international at the time, and just slipped it under his body. And to score your first league goal, you know, at the Milton Road end in your home ground, mm. it was uh, quite special. And then about 10 minutes later, Nick Shannon nodded one down. Uh, Ivan Golak took a free kick. Mick Shannon knocked it down. I was on the edge of the box and I volleyed it in. It just flew in. And so to have Keegan and Shannon make a goal each for you, that makes it two special goals. But the first one, you'll always remember your first one. So that's special for that reason. In terms of a, of a best goal, there was one against Spurs that we won 1-0 at home. And um, I, I scored a goal and it was a corner. And it was sort of hit well beyond the far post where Glenn Cockrell had moved away. And rather than go for goal, he firmly headed it back. And I readjusted my position 
and it was it couldn't have been a more packed six yard box, but I headed it into about the one spot that was was free. So to get a headed goal that was the only goal of the game again to get winning goals against Arsenal and Spurs at home was uh, memorable for those reasons. And thanks for asking that question. Yeah. One last question for myself, Dave. Yeah. Just tell us a bit about the dressing room, with, you know, the likes of Keegan, yeah. Owen and Shannon. Just tell us a little bit about what it was like. Sure, yeah. When I sort of first got there, I was an apprentice, and your job was to go and pick up the kit, you know, shine their boots. You were given so many apprentices. My pros when I was there, I, I had to clean Phil Boy and Nick Holmes and David Peach's boots as well as my own. Um, and then different players came and came and went, and I had a two-year apprenticeship like others. And then when you become a pro at 18, you get someone to clean your boots. Well, Danny Wallace is two years younger than me, and he was assigned to clean my boots at age 16, and I was 18. So if Danny was cleaning my boots, and then at 16, he got in the first team. So my apprentice was a first-team player. So that was, <laughs> that was good. I, got, I actually got in the squad about a year and a half, two years after him. So that was good. But while you, while you are that age, do you want to walk into the dressing room? Because the um, first-team squad of about 15, 20 on a training day would, would get changed in the first team dressing rooms at the Dell. The reserves and youth team got changed in the visitors dressing room at the Dell before we went training. So to actually go in the dressing room, to open that door and peep in and probably pick up a kit or get hand them back their boots was a, not an ordeal, but you were a bit in awe of players, but you just have to be confident, go in there. You want to be with them. 10 minutes later, you might be training with them. And then, you know, hopefully one day you you're in there and the people that made it very easy was you you know like some Nick Holmes and, and and Dave Peach people like that but Schiltz was difficult to speak to he was very much a loner I found but also a fantastic pro and dedicated to himself you know in terms of what to be improving so but he didn't necessarily mix too much with the younger players um, I found Nick uh, Mick Shannon who came in a lot later than everyone else obviously I think is his hobby and his, his, you know, was was the football, as he always said, and, and he was busy with his racing and mm-hmm. he came in quickly, got changed and got out. So again, there wasn't a real mix with the younger players with Mick. Kevin Keegan took about an hour to sign autographs for every player and every fan that was in the car park. He would turn up at nine o'clock so that this training was at 10. He knew he had to get there early because there'd be people wanting his autograph. He would never refuse one. So he just spent ages. Then he would come into the dressing room and myself and Steve Moran and Mark Whitlock and Ruben, we'd all say, oh, we've had this letter. Can you get Kevin to sign this? So we're all, we're all then asking him for his autograph as well. You know, secretly keeping it for yourself because you want it. So Kev was uh, was like that. He was fantastic. Out of all of them, Alan Ball was the one for me out of the senior lads and the superstar lads that had time for me and not just me, everyone. He would talk to you about your football, talk to you about your game, tell you what he thought you were doing well, tell you where he thought you could improve, tell you if he felt you had a chance and told me I'll be playing in the team next year. He really backed me and liked me and obviously I liked him because of it and found him the easiest to talk to out of the senior lads. That's how I found the dressing room of the, the superstars. Uh, Mick Mills was terrific, Dave Watson was, um, and, I, and I thought Ivan Golak was one of the best players I've ever played with. I think he was the best right back, the best right winger that, um, that the club's had, and I think in the same position. He, he, if you saw him in training with his one-touch play, he really was one of the, one of the best players I've played with, him and Alan Ball, yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for that, David. And I'm going to end it on a sentimental note because I like, I've got a thanks I'd like to offer. First of all to Ben and the team at Total Tank Podcast. I've had a blinding time over the last few months doing these podcasts and the opportunity to 
chat with ex-Saints that I never thought I'd end up doing, not a year ago anyway. Um, so <laughs> to you, Ben, and that's from both me and Leon at the archive. No worries. Uh, and uh, a big thank you to David and Teresa as well. Both me and Leon and the guys at the archive have put on a few charity events over the last 12 months, and you've been one of our biggest supporters there, so I really appreciate it, David, so thank you. Thank you very much, yeah, and thanks for asking. You know, I was uh, a bit embarrassed to do this, but love to be asked. And first and foremost, I'm a, you know, Saints fan from younger age. So, um, you know, I'm involved in the Saints archive as a fan. Happen to be an ex-player, so it's great to see all the information and the, the uh, posts that come on, on the archive. It's, it's a fantastic thing that you're doing, and I, I know that we're increasing the members daily, which is fantastic. Cool. Well, very much appreciated, Dave. Yeah, thanks for, for joining the podcast. Thank you for asking, all of you. Cheers now. Total Saints Podcast. Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Adam Leach, and Steve Grant. Sponsored by HappyHotTubs.co.uk. Huddersfield are the final visitors to St Mary's this season as the Premier League wraps up for another year. 15 points from a possible 111, albeit one of those came against Manchester United this weekend, lol, and a minus 54 goal difference. I guess it's safe to say, Steve, it's not been one of the greatest seasons in Huddersfield history. Oh, they've been awful. Genuinely a competitor with the Derby team of 2007-8 mm. um, in terms of how badly they've they've coped with um with the level and yeah. it's strange given that they obviously had the year before to get themselves used to it i guess it kind of shows the absolute miracle job that uh, david wagner did mm. in their first season to keep them up yeah that they were so abject this time around and everyone kind of worked them out and the signings they made none of them have really worked out um other than i think uh, carlin grant who they signed from charlton in january mm. I think if they give him the right service, he'll get 20 to 25 goals for them next season. Yeah. But um, he's the only one who's looked who's looked remotely up to um, standard this season. Um, even the ones that performed above and beyond last season have reverted to type and haven't been haven't been anywhere near good enough. And there's only so much that kind of running around and showing effort. There's only kind of so much you can gain from that in in the Premier League. Mm. Um, and yeah, they've, they've just not been anywhere near the level um, that's required. And I mean, let's be brutally honest. There's a lot of really rubbish teams in this league. Yeah. And they've stood out on that front. Yeah. Obviously, they've not been great at the back. They've not scored many goals as well, Steve. But when you think they've done, and we spoke about this the other week, they've done the double over Wolves, which is bizarre in itself. But, you know, you think you'd get more fight out of Huddersfield maybe than you have done this season. I, I You know, in terms of competitiveness on the on the part, but lots of games I've seen of them on television, it's almost like they've just sat off and let teams play against them. And it's not surprising really then that they've been carved apart. Yeah, I mean, it's a team that basically knows they're not good enough mm. and therefore they're going out onto the pitch kind of almost beaten already, really. That Liverpool game last week was I mean, inevitable in, in so many ways. And that one you could kind of write off in the sense that Liverpool are clearly that much better than pretty much every team in this league apart mm. from City. Mm. But it kind of just illustrated that They've just been underprepared in every game. Yeah. And that comes down to the manager more than anything. And I think while they've kind of talked a good game in that they've tried to replicate similar circumstances to what they had under David Wagner in terms of bringing through 
um, the guy who's been running Borussia Dortmund's um, second team yep. obviously has that very similar coaching ethos. Mm. You've still got to appoint the right people. And I, I, to be honest, I'll be surprised if Siva is there in August yeah. because, I mean, he's picked up, what, four points? Something since, like that, since, yeah. he was, since he was appointed in... And he was he was appointed what over Christmas I think. Yeah. I mean that's just just it's not been a great run. I think yeah I think I saw was it four points in twenty games was it or something like that. But yeah so uh, there we yeah. go. I may be totally wrong. But um, look I mean from a Saints point of view then Adam obviously if we put West Ham to one side it's quite an attractive fixture on paper for Saints to try and end the season at a bit of high with some goals and a win. Well, it couldn't be more attractive, could it? I mean, sort of absolutely useless, as Steve said. Let's not, uh, not tempt fate too much. Well, I was going to say, you know we're going to lose now, don't we? <laughs> well, well, who knows? I mean, I guess the one thing from Huddersfield's point of view is that you would assume they've got some motivation. Obviously, it's their last Premier League game. Let's assume that they're going to bring quite a lot of fans for a No, a you're wrong. I think I saw no, they sent two blocks back. They've re- yeah, they've returned two <laughs> blocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah they've, they've, they've tossed it off even, even more yeah. than the team have. It's, yeah, oh, they, okay. they Give yeah. no, yeah, they give nothing about this game at all. Oh, okay. Well, then, in that case, I'll I'll give up trying to make a case. I'll just go back to my original point, which is you couldn't get a better game for the Saints to sign off with, could you? Yeah. Really? I mean, uh, a team that are just totally bereft, who mm. can't score goals, who concede them like they're going out of fashion most of the time, who don't really seem to have a game plan that is worthy of the Premier League, whether mm. they can pull it off or not. Yeah, it's the perfect chance to actually finish on a high, isn't it? And, it? and it would be great for Saints if they could have a nice day in the sun, a comfortable win, a nice lap of honour, and everybody go home nice and happy for the summer. I mean, they, they kind of deserve that. And I think it would be nice if they did get a good send-off, because as, mm. I, as I said last week, it was like in typical keeping of Saints the last few years, the, the, this, the shambolic nature of their celebrations of staying up last time. After the Bournemouth game, we were waiting for ages for the Cardiff results. So it would be really nice if they kind of got a proper send off, a proper kind of, you know, chance for the fans to appreciate the work that's been done and by the team and particularly Ralph. Yeah. Do you think it's must win, Adam? <laughs> nice try. Uh, I, I mean, after uh, the last few results, you, it feels like it's, it. It's not must win. It, for this, for me, this one falls into the category of do not care. <laughs> Um, and as you said earlier on then, so you're fairly confident Ralph will be back to full strength and it'll be a bit of a get out there and uh, give the fans something to, as you say, go away with for the summer. Yeah, he's going to field this uh, for the Huddersfield game. Um, as far as I know, uh, the team really that have kept Saints up uh, because I think he feels they deserve to play that final game and to have the crowd singing their names and, you know, mm. everybody to be happy and jolly they've earned the right it was the experimental game was the away game for yeah. that reason and the penultimate game the the final game at home is absolutely the big send-off mm. so i think it will be interesting um and i i hear that the we might have a record low attendance in the press box as well All because right. i guess well with the title going to the last day of the season let's be honest contractually obliged to pay attention to some attention to the saints huddersfield game but yeah. Certainly we'll have half an eye on what's going on in the Liverpool-Man City games, and I imagine most other people will too. Yeah. 
so we're going to go on to our predictions. Just before we do, I'm going to do the final um, pre-last week of the season Total Saints podcast fantasy Premier League update. It's the same three chaps that have been out there all the season. So in the third place at the moment is Tom Bryan with Split the Atom on 2,321. Mike Hopkins is second on 2,341. And Bob Brown is just about holding on 2,347. So there's six points between them. So uh, moving on from the fantasy Premier League, obviously, if we are talking must-win, we're talking the TSP Prediction League and it couldn't be tighter. I was relying on a 2-0 West Ham win yesterday to keep me in it. Obviously that didn't happen but uh, Adam Leach is on 24 points. Steve Grant is on 25 points. So literally it comes down. I can't believe Adam. I can't believe it's. I can't believe what I mean this is probably better than the Manchester City Liverpool title race to be honest with you. It's bigger for me, that's for sure. I was <laughs> yesterday when it was three nil. Yeah. Literally, uh, if you would have seen me in the press, every time Saints got the ball in the West Ham half, <laughs> I was like, shoot, shoot, come on, shoot, God damn you, what have you scored? There we go. So uh, right, so Steve's got the toss. We're all close, weren't we? I know, I know exactly. Yeah. So uh, there we go. Right, Steve, you got the toss. So the coins in the air. What are you going for? Tails. I can't believe it. It's another tail. It's all yours, Steve. Go for it. <laughs> uh, four one Saints. Nice. Oof like it that's bold as a man who's confident just have a quick look at the league table if um, Huddersfield concede three more than Fulham they will leapfrog them and have the worst defensive record there you go you see interesting I like that Steve always uh, does his research Adam what are you going for I mean the pressure's on this now yeah this has got to be right this is it there's no other way other than a 100% correct prediction is the only way to win this now so you're right oh, oh man I mean we're not going to keep a clean sheet are we 3-0 Saints. Oh, that's bold. Ooh. That is bold. They better not bloody let me down. That's all I can say. <laughs> no. Well, I'm I'm coming down for it. As I was saying to the chaps before we started the pod, I've paid £42 for the privilege, so I want to see some goals. I am going to totally tempt fate by going for a 2-1 Saints win. Just before we wrap up then, Adam, this is going to be coming out on May the 6th. So if I remember correctly, the Daily Echo Player of the Season Awards shuts on May the 9th. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Yep, I think the club's doing their awards on the Tuesday night and the Echo Award voting remains open for a couple more days after that till, yeah, the Thursday to be announced Friday or Saturday TBC. It'll be announced Friday or Saturday though, so it'll be announced for the last game of the season. Fair enough. Have you voted in the end, Steve? Yeah, my vote went to uh, Nathan Redmond. Just yeah. I think he's been, while I think other players have had spells of being outstanding mm. i think he's largely been on a very consistently good level throughout the entire season even in that first spell under hughes where basically nobody played well apart from him yeah and i think we possibly would have been cut adrift were it not for not for his performances early in the season so um yeah he got my vote yeah i totally agree with you on nathan Revan. i know adam was speaking about him a lot and i totally agree i think he's been very consistent throughout the season so i actually voted for him on the echo website because i thought more people would probably vote for redmond so i thought it'd be good for prousey to get some recognition from the club i think he's had a brilliant second half of the season arguably some of his goals you think of bears and that draw against crystal palace and things like that have sort of helped to keep us up as well so i did actually vote for prousey on the official site but if i had to split between them i would absolutely go with Nathan Redmond which is uh, who I voted for on uh, Adam's site Thanks as always for listening to TSP and sticking with us at this point. A big thank you to Dave Puckett for joining the Saints Archive chaps and me this week in Total Recall as well. We'll be back again next week when, if all goes well, it'll be with a few other friends of ours. 
As we just mentioned, don't forget to also get voting on your Player of the Year votes if you've not done it yet via SouthamptonFC.com and, of course, the Daily Echo website. Until then, keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.